This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Cheryl Sullivan. I'm the president and general manager for Demand Tech. What I love about retail is the complexity, is that um, it's one of the first industries to really embrace science, and we're all consumers and shoppers, and so it's easily to relate to it. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Retail is Your Business. I am one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and today on this episode, we are Rebecca-less, uh, much to my chagrin, but luckily my chagrin has turned into a big smile because our guest co-host is Gary Hawkins, uh, returning to the show once again. Hi, Gary. Nice to see you. Mark, great to be with you again. You're coming to us from Denver, Colorado, am I right? Yes, I am. That's right. How are those mountains looking today? <laughs> Snow covered. Oh, well, they're supposed to be, aren't they? Uh, this Isn't time it? of year, yes. yes. Oh, it's not a year-round thing. <laughs> it's, it's not it, year it, round. it goes quite into the summer, uh, oh, some okay. of the high peaks, yeah. But Denver right. itself is uh, uh, nice and sunny today, and uh, it's been almost 60 the last couple of days. So, Gary, uh, what has your company Carp been doing lately? In a in a in one or two sentences, what's the what's the elevator pitch these days? So, so Cart really plays at the intersection of the retail industry and technology, and you know we're seeing a lot of activity around certain areas. Certainly, AI anything today, and I'm sure we're going to get into some of it with Cheryl today. Seeing a lot happening around computer vision, automation, etc. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, so glad to have you here along for the ride, Gary. Gary's probably going to drive more of this than I am. This is We're, we're in a uh, sweet spot here. Uh, so, or one of them. So anyway, uh, Cheryl Sullivan, welcome to the show. We're so delighted you could join us. Thanks, Mark. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I think a question I would love to lead off with is, you have such an impressive background working with major brands we've all heard of. You've got a tremendously large and comprehensive lens through which to look at the the retail industry, I would say. So from the perch of being able to look through that very heavy duty lens, just aside even from what you're doing with your company, which we'll, we'll talk more about, if you had the biggest megaphone in the world and you could send a message and all big decision makers in retail would be turning your way and listening to you right now, given the moment of time we are in now, Everything from the pandemic to the migration very quickly to more e-commerce and everything that means, what would you need to make sure that you were the message you were giving through that giant megaphone if they were all listening? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I would say to give up everything you've been doing up until the last three years. I think that, you know, I, I tell people that retail today is not like what it used to be. Um, you know, science, you know, especially in grocery has been around for a long time, but I, I like to say I grew up in retail because I've been in it for 30 years. But but the problem is, is it's been a slow adoption to that. And I think where we are today, um, especially with the hyperspeed COVID put, put retail on, like you will not survive if you're still doing the same old business processes. 
uh, using the same old data sources and trying to do it without science. Yeah, sure. I like that is a great way to to put it. You know, forget about everything um, uh, prior to th you know the last three years. Uh, I completely agree. You know, traditionally this industry has been very very slow moving, but boy, it's it's moving fast and it's going to move faster every day here. Uh, to to sort of really jump into this, uh, you know, one of the questions I have for you is, you know, over the last year certainly driven by the pandemic, we've seen online grocery shopping just explode, right? You know, gaining five years maybe of growth in five weeks. One of the issues I see retailers grappling with is pricing online versus pricing in the store. You know, should, should the pricing online be the same as in the store? Should it be different? Pros, cons. Wondering what you're seeing from your perspective around that and what your thoughts are. Yeah, so, so Gary, you're right. In fact, um, just since COVID, the growth of grocery shoppers um, moving online um, went from 7% to 35%. So you're right, COVID kind of like took the training wheels off of a lot of people and shoved them in that direction. Um, I think the the pricing online versus in-store has been a topic in, in retail for a really long time. And I think there was a myth that the pricing needed to be consistent. And so, uh, you know, I was part of a, of a study that was done by Forrester to, to kind of debunk that myth. And in, in reality, they don't expect the same prices. It does vary upon the type of vertical. And when I say vertical, I mean fashion versus beauty versus grocery. Um, but the problem with it is comes all back to the, the, the price sensitivity of the shopper. So um, having been doing you know, science around that for a number of years um, and being able to look at all that data, it's, it, it's astonishing to see the level of sensitivity on the same item from the same shopper online versus in the store. And so it's really about aligning the pricing with, with that sensitivity. And what, what I mean by that is there's a handful of items typically that shoppers are very well aware of, and, and many of these mm -hmm. are referred to as key value items. So those are the, the items that really drive price perception, um, and those are the items that consumers know the pricing on. Um, the problem is, is if you don't get the pricing right on those, um, you're going to lose. Um, often to get the pricing right on those, you're going to be highly competitive and often they're not going to drive a lot of margin for you. So it's really about also understanding where they're, what sensitivity levels they have on other items in the assortment. And when I, when I say sensitivity level, it means what's that fair price a shopper review is fair. And so, you know, in our world, it's about balancing that sensitivity of the shopper against the retailer's ability to grow margin. So if I can't give it up on, on you know, some items, I need to go get it someplace. You know, I, I've got to balance it out. So if you get that, if you don't know what that sensitivity level is and how it varies between online and grocery, you're going to be in trouble. But, but I will say, um, you know, still an argument. I would say in grocery, there's this desire, sensitivities are more similar. Um, to where shoppers want it to be the same, they're more aware. It's really when you go into some of these other verticals that that that, that sensitivity level varies. And if retailers try to keep the same price, especially because they're competing against different people, right? You're competing against Amazon um, versus when you're in 
door, you're competing against the guy around the corner. So it's it's also very important to know who your true competitors are. So online, some a lot of retailers often think they got, you know, 50 competitors, you know, in reality, they got three that impact right. the demand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would think, you know, along with the the growth of grocery e-commerce has come a very real focus on profitability of those online sales now, right? When online only represents one or 2% of sales, you can sort of live with it. As it approaches 5 10% or even more of total sales, it's got to become profitable. And I would think there's an opportunity for retailers to sort of decouple that online pricing from the in-store pricing and certainly focusing on what you've just called out there are some number of items that are truly price sensitive, but having a little more freedom to react uh, more real time with pricing in the digital world. Uh, would you see that as an opportunity for retailers? It definitely is an opportunity, and it's one that surfaced its HUD very strongly about two years ago. And I would say if you look globally, um, the level of, I think you're kind of referring to dynamic pricing, right? That ability to, to price very mm -hmm. frequent. And to do that, you've got to, you've got to get back to that comment about throw away all the things you used to do. Yep. It was just especially gut feel and manual intervention. Um, it's really about automation and science and being dynamic. Um, so, so yes, you know, but what often people confuse changing prices dynamically and, and frequently with changing your whole assortment, it's not that. It's about, you know, monitoring the, the market, understanding which items weren't a price change and then quickly making that. In Europe, um, they're doing it in the stores. They're doing it in grocery and brick and mortar stores. And there's quite a few of them that do that. We have customers that do that. Um, so that that speed is critical. The other piece is really the automation. And, um, you know, so a lot of this, a lot of the solutions, especially in the pricing arena that were built, you know, years ago, um, if if those companies haven't started to progress it to be automated, in many aspects, take the human out of a lot of that, that normally happens, um, be able to accommodate new types of pricing strategies, be able to pick up the changes in consumer behavior. So if you take COVID, and I talked about those key KPI items, those items that people define you by, um, those shifted. And, and normally those stuck around, you know this, Gary, for a long time, and retailers every once in a while evaluated them, those shifted on a dime. And so the retailers that did well, which was a lot of our customers, but the ones that did well is because they have the technology and the science in place to pick up on that and rapidly adjust, not just the pricing, but the strategies. So, so pricing is about applying certain strategies against you know different categories, brands, items. Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell, and you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at StoryDot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com.
how how Cheryl does psychology play into this? I mean, it does it must play into it even in the way that that AI itself is is yeah. uh, is programmed or or you know how the algorithms are formulated. But yeah. but can you talk a little bit about the kind of um, input or research that that goes into this and and also not to center on this, but you know, given the pandemic being such a sort of unique experience for people and how it has deeply affected their decision-making and prior reprioritization. And yeah. therefore I would imagine what prices they're willing to pay for things based on what that prioritization is, you know, and how that's considered into pricing models. And so, so I guess that whole ball of wax, I just, I just. Said. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So if you, if you think about what, one of the things that came out and we, we've done some studies um, we do them frequently so that we can keep an eye on, on what, what the shoppers are doing, what they say, not just what retailers think, because often there's a huge disconnect between what the retailers think and what is actually happening, which is why we conduct these studies. One of the things that, that the shoppers told us um, that during COVID, they felt that the pricing was very unfair and it was pervasive. In fact, 74% of shoppers felt that the, the prices that they were receiving everywhere they were going was unfair. This is coming at a time that shoppers are not loyal, right? So losing that trust, you know, during a time when their income levels are dropping, when there's the uncertainty, you know, the months to come, you know, that really impacted them. In fact, 56% of those said they would not shop those retailers again. So, so it's not, if you don't get, if you don't have something that's going to get you into that psyche, you know, which can actually be measured, you know, to a certain degree, uh, if, you, if you can't do that, you'll never put together the right pricing. The, the other piece is, I've been saying for a number of years, everyday price is going to go away. It will soon not be an everyday price. There will be the price and that will be a, some form of a promotional price and it'll be a very personalized price. So also understanding not just the price, but how it's packaged. So if I'm looking for a promotional offer, what do I want that to be? What does Gary want? Does Gary want a percent off? Does Gary like the dollar off? Does Gary want a bogo? And one of the things that was very interesting is we've done a number of, of studies to find out, you know, which are the most important offer types, what's the right level of discount that shoppers want. The thing that always trailed at the end that never ranked very high among shoppers was a bogo. Buy one, if I got to buy one and get one, or I buy one and get three, or, like, it never ranked high and it was number one coming up. Like they, they, and I think that is the influence of COVID and income and, you know, the uncertainty. Am I going to get this product tomorrow? And, you know, so both those really jumped high. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the two after that is, um, you know, uh, dollar off and percent off. The other piece is, you know, you got that lack of trust. And we know the shopping experiences these days aren't that great for, for shoppers, but, but it's important to them. And one of the other things that we we ask shoppers is, you know, what's what's most important to you um, as far as your overall experience? Is it price? Is it quality? Is it availability? Is it is it cleanliness? Like we brought in even some of those factors that you would have thought would have skyrocketed to the top. And in reality, price was number one. And it's it's been number one for years, um, followed by by quality and then followed by availability. So, you know. 
uh, you know, it's, it's the psyche is that the other is knowing that, you know, long gone are the days that shoppers don't know the game of retail. They know if I wait, you know, eventually this is going to be promoted. And they also know I got many places to go get it if I want, you know, so that length of time they're willing to wait is, is incredible. And when I say willing to wait, it's willing to wait for it to pop up on the market as a promotion, not necessarily, I'm going to wait for you, Mr. Retailer, um, because of that loyalty. So the, the psyche is not the same. You know, it's not the same as what it used to be. And, and it was slowly changing anyways um, with, with the whole e-commerce growth, you know, just, you know, a lot of the, the, the new technology and science that is, was being developed and is continuing to be developed. It's just COVID just threw it in a tailspin. And those retailers that did well are, are typically because they have, they have some form of this type of science in-house. Yeah. In, in one, one way or another. <laughs> so, so, Cheryl, I'd like to go back and, and dig in a little bit on something you mentioned just a, a couple of minutes ago around this notion of personalized pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know as I talk to different retailers across the country, um, it, you know, more of them are either experimenting with or are using some level of, of personalized promotional pricing. Uh, and you know, th- there's a lot of discussion around this whole topic. You know, mm-hmm. does does pricing personalization just go to to promoted products? Does it eventually go to every product across the store? Uh, mm-hmm. Really love your thoughts around what you're seeing in the industry and where you personally think this whole space is headed. Yeah, so it, it's definitely headed in the direction of, of that. I don't think it's an everyday price because, like I said, I think that's going to go away. I think it's more, I want the great offer. Um, the challenge that retailers have in getting this to to be able to really go out and be pervasive is, um, we've done studies around this as well, is shoppers say, I want that offer, but if my husband or my neighbor got a better one, I'm not going to be happy. So, so it's a bigger problem than it, than it's perceived. And, and although people say there are personalized offers out there, let me give you some insight into what's really going on there. It's really the way that these offers are getting created is uh, at a segment level. So, so it could be your loyalty data, right? However you want to segment it. So if I'm going to come up with a promotional offer, uh, for a pet store and it's for cats buyers, I'm not going to give them a promotional offer on dog food, right? So, so everybody can get it to that. And then over to the left, you have people who are claiming I'm giving personalized offers. What they're doing is they're really figuring out, okay, once that offer's there and, um, you know, how do I now get it to the right person? And and we have that capability as well in our marketing cloud solution is we can do all these analytics and we can get the right email to you and we can get you that promotional offer. Why having something like, you know, science-based type of promotion is, okay, that can get you to the store and convert you, but is that an offer? Is that good enough for Gary? Did you want 20%? Did you want, you know, your dollar off? And I will tell you today because of this rapid pace to get into the promotional world, retailers don't know what to do around this anymore. They're just throwing promotions out to throw promotions out and they are getting them and they are the right form, but they're not necessarily achieving that performance that retailers need. So most pro- most promotions, um, if you're not using some type of optimization technology, 
they are counterproductive. You might have a couple good ones that you did well, but all these ones you did poor on, it's going to cannibalize that profit. So if it's not achieving an objective, a strategy, back to you can't just have a price, you got to have a strategy. If it's not getting you in the store as a lost leader, but then knowing that it's going to grow your basket because it's going to drag this and this and this. So, and, and by the way, when it's done, it's going to roll up and help you meet your high-level financial plan. So there, there's kind of a couple things going on in the industry, you know, but the nut of it is you could have where you're getting everything out there, but it may not be tied to everything, or you can get it to the segment level, um, you know, but there is, there is, it's not for lack of being able to build capability to get this. So, so that is going on, I will say. But it's really about, is the market really ready for that exactly? Like I said, if you got 20% off and Mark got, you know, 10% off, is Mark going to be happy? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I guess, yes, I think that is still a uh, an issue or a concern across some retailers. But I, I think it's far less than it was, you know, I... I as I mentioned earlier, I spent a lot of my career as a retailer. I actually began doing price differentiation across different customer segments, gosh, 25 years ago, right? And, and certainly back then, no one else was doing this. I heard a lot of that. You know, my neighbor got this or my sister got that. Um, I, I think there's much less of that today. I, I think consumers are much more accustomed to differentiation uh, and so on. I guess from my perspective, I think, you know, the, the data science is there to do truly personalized pricing across all 40,000 SKUs across the store. Um, one of the big issues, though, does come down to systems and very, very few retailers have the capability to deliver personalized pricing into that transaction real time, whether it's in the store or whether it's online. There is that, you know, always separate the planning and the execution and, you know, you, you can get it all planned, but then somehow it's got to get executed and, and get into the store. Um, and it, it's also not always just the store, right? So there, there are multiple ways that a retailer needs to reach that shopper, right? It may be in social, it may be in the store, it may be on your mobile phone, you know, and those different vehicles are incredibly expensive these days because there's so many of them now. So it's also important to know which of those vehicles you should be using. So that's the other, you know, a lot of the advancements in the science is not only saying here's a promotional offer, but what should it go in? Do you get that incremental lift by putting it, you know, on your website? Cheryl, I'm interested, you know, you're dealing with life cycle here, but there's so many other things that impact pricing decisions and and customer buying decisions, obviously, which are, you know, can be politically based, they can be natural disaster based, they can be public sentiment based, uh, and they can also be event based. We know that when there is a Super Bowl in a certain city during that period of time, there's going to be a lot of tourism, people want to spend money there. And that can affect, you know, supply and demand and pricing and so forth like that. So I guess both reacting with known things and mm -hmm. unexpected things. If something happens to a, a beloved public figure, it may affect many people emotionally and it may change their buying decisions today, tomorrow, this week. It depends on the severity of the situation. Obviously, a national, national, yeah. natural disaster and so forth. Shootings, you know, all those things. So my point is, is 
how can AI, how to use AI to be reactive to those things so that retailers can be nimble in the way that they react to those pricing decisions? Yeah, great, great question. So part of it is known. So so I know when the Super Bowl is, I know in summertime ice cream is going to sell better. You know, so, so there are those known seasonal effects. So the science needs to t- factor in those seasonal effects when it's coming up with, with its recommendations and predictions. Um, and then to your point of the unknown, I mean, COVID was a great example. Who knew that this was going to, you know, happen and and get to the state it is today? So it, then you, it comes back to what Gary was kind of highlighting, which was you got to be dynamic. How you got to have something that can pick up the shifts in demand in the market, whether that is the shopper and how they're reacting, um, whether that and whether that is a, a competitor and what crazy stuff they may or may not be doing. Um, so it's all about, or even the weather. Right. So, so you, if you're using data and it rained or it snowed, you know, just because it rained and snowed at a certain time last year doesn't mean it's going to do the same this year. So there's so many different uh, things that can impact demand and they're in it can happen so dynamically and so quickly. So that's where the science has to be constantly monitoring for those different changes, aligning to specific strategies, you know, and picking up on those shifts in price sensitivity and um, and then be able to accommodate by dynamically adjusting the prices where the prices need to be adjusted. And also, you know, the, also recommending strategies. So back to historical practices, people say, hey, these are the strategies we're going to apply. You know, these are the roles of these categories. These are strategies we're going to use and we'll set it and forget it. And And then we just keep putting the same strategy or we keep promoting the same category. It's like, but is that a garbage in, garbage out, right? Like it, it should be letting the science, and it can, because we do it, can figure out what strategy these things should be playing and dynamically changing those strategies for you. And, um, you know, there is, there, it, this is real time. Everything's real time. You don't get to plan anymore. It's all in flight. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with your comments that, Everything around the world of pricing, especially dynamic pricing, you know, personalized pricing, et cetera, has all got to be driven by strategy. And ideally, that strategy, in my mind, happens at, at the individual customer level, right? What are you trying to achieve there with, with that customer? Uh, I, I'm curious, without giving away any confidential information, when you look across your customer base, can you give us some sense of, you know, what percentage or, or um idea of how many of your customers are using some kind of personalized or differentiated pricing uh, strategy or approach today? So, so our customers, we have over, over 700 customers. We have many, I think we have four or five of the top 10 global retailers. You know, our retailers are all billion dollar and plus, and many of them have been using our technology for, which is science for, for, quite a long time. Um, you know, we can do the promotions, you know, depends on which area. The, I call it a, a price life cycle, right? A product enters until the time it leaves the market and you've got the everyday, you've got the promotion, then you've got to eventually clear it out and click in and dis- discontinue it. Um, like we offer those capabilities we have for a really long time and we are in, we've been working toward uh, what I what I, I I say we got to rethink retail 
right? And, and so we have been doing um, a lot around the science, a lot around the promotional arena um, to bring a lot more of that dynamic, that automation and that personalization in. Um, so tech has to get there, uh, which, which, you know, is, and then there is that, you know, back to our earlier conversation of making sure that how you execute, you know, in, in the market with your consumers and shoppers, you know, is, is done appropriately. All right. Well, speaking of personalization, we're going to get personal with a round of personal questions. <laughs> See what I did there, Gary? Yeah. Nice, nice, nice segue, Mark. Thank I you very much. Say, uh-huh. That's right. That's right. That's like uh, what Bob Newhart told routine where he says, speaking of airplanes. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, we'll get to some personal questions and look at the human side of Cheryl. Right Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. All right, Cheryl, this is the part of the show where we get to know you a little bit um, and uh, and hopefully come away with a better understanding of how you tick. Uh, And, uh, you know, Gary, if it's all right with you, I'm going to lead off and give you a little... uh, little room to, to to think about your best possible question so uh Cheryl uh, we don't we don't think about these questions in advance it's kind of reactive to the discussion that we've had and I really would love to know about what is a purchase that you made that stands out to you as being so memorable when you bought it you were like this is it this is life-changing this is this is I, I'm going to buy, my life is made because I bought this thing. Uh, the, and, and still to this day, maybe even you still have it, who knows? But what what's a decision you remember making that felt like one of the greatest decisions you ever made? Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, the thing that popped in my head immediately was my first car. Uh, and you know, without the sake of, of dating myself, it was it was a Ford Pinto. And I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. Little did you know. <laughs> did you know. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Uh, well, that's great. That's uh, how long did you have the Pinto? Um, well, you mean how long did I have it before I crashed it? <laughs> oh no, you didn't crash it backwards, did you? Well, actually, I was a passenger, so so a friend oh. of mine crashed it, but I had it about a year. Wow, <laughs> that's so sad. I'm so sorry. For those who don't know, just because of your age, it. Uh, the Ford Pinto was well known for having a defect that if it had a collision involving the rear, 
uh, the gas tank could explode. And uh, it was it was a very well known, uh, very rough spot for for Ford at the moment. So uh, ours was a front end collision. (laughs) Thank goodness, thank goodness. (laughs) I mean, if you have to have one, I guess. Yeah. uh, With a Pinto. All right. Thank you for Cheryl. But you remember? She remembered this. She was very happy at the time. I was very Uh, happy. Very young. (laughs) Gary, uh, do you have a question? So, so Cheryl, yeah, just uh, give us a sense. How how long have you been with Demantech and, and some of the highlights of uh, your career, some of the positions you've had, work you've done. Yeah, so so like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I've I've literally been in retail um, for for thirty years. I was just doing the math the other day. Um, at Demantech, I've been there um, since October of two thousand nineteen. So Acoustic is you know a fairly new company that was a major carve out of IBM, and with that came all of the the Demantech. Products and so we've we've structured it as an independent strategic business unit within Acoustic. So so a lot of a lot of energy going into relaunching the brand. You know a lot of new innovation deep underway. Um, interestingly, because the brand is so well known and the products are so loved, we've had so many former Demand Tech people come and want to join the party. Uh, we've had several from our competitors come and want to join the party. Um, but I, it's been since October 2019. Prior to that, I was at Revionic. So as part of their executive leadership, I ran product, I ran marketing, I, I did a lot of the corporate strategy, um, some of the sales stuff on the, on the inside sales stuff. I was there for, for about eight years. And uh, prior to that, I was at Oracle Retail. So I owned a lot of the, the product strategy roadmap strategic direction for all the grocery and hardline solutions. Um, and I will say that way back in my day, I, I was uh, part of Nielsen. So I worked for Nielsen for four years and I actually implemented and actually wrote a little bit of the very first price solution hmm. on the market. Oh. So, so when I say I've grown up in this, I mean, <laughs> you've I've literally grown, grown up, up in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, you've seen a whole lot of change and helped bring about a whole lot of change. Yes. It sounds like in the uh, positions you've had, it's it's neat. It, it's going to be so interesting, you know, ten years, twenty years down the road, whatever it makes sense for for you to look at, look back to this moment, Cheryl, and think about the things that you've deployed now and been a part of setting in motion. You know what has happened with that and how it may transform the industry in ways that you can't yet anticipate so well the interesting thing is i never thought i would be competing against some of the things i built for somebody else (laughs) well at least you've got an inside track i don't know i would put put a lot of bugs in (laughs) them (laughs) it's tough it's tough to look at uh, points of of uh you know competitive points that you can have when all you're doing is looking at ah we should have done this yeah right so always you know the, the goal was you know do the best thing for for the retail industry and for retail in general. Absolutely. And that's been the MO. Well, you certainly have carved out, Cheryl, all, all, all jokes aside and very objectively, a, a remarkable career so far. Uh, and and anyone who needs to know about retail, one of the people they should be listening to is Cheryl, for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us. Cheryl, how can people connect with you directly, perhaps, or, or certainly uh, your company? Yeah, uh, the, the website is, is you know, www.demandtech.com. Um, and then my email is Cheryl.Sullivan at acoustic.com. 
Awesome. Well, Cheryl Sullivan, thank you very much for joining us. Best of luck with everything that is ahead and uh, navigating the rest of the way through this pandemic and coming out the other side of it with very broad opportunities. So thanks a lot. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Gary. All right. That's it for this episode of Retail is Your Business and a very fine one it was for sure. Uh, Thank you all for listening, of course. We'll see you next week. Until then, for Gary Hawkins. Mark, great to be with you. Thanks for uh, inviting me again. And Cheryl, great talking with you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, sir, Gary Hawkins. Thank you very much. Uh, That's it, everybody. Have a great day. Until next time, I'm Mark Rako. Bye-bye. This has been Retail is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Audio for business.